Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 216 of the Neutral Corner. And today we're going to talk about the zone. What is up over at the zone? Can they survive the COVID thing? I think that they seriously, seriously need some shoulder programming. Also, we're going to have a special guest, Marty P. Hill, USA Boxing Masters Champion. He runs a gym here in Atlanta, Georgia. It's going to be great to have him on the show. So uh, we got a good show here. This is for the week of April 11th again, episode number 216 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. We're going on a little bit later than normal because uh, we had some technical difficulties. Don't you just love technology? It's great. As always, guys, I remind you to get over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, everywhere. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure you're leaving ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. I saw a couple of you guys comment over the last couple of weeks here on YouTube that you uh, did not get a notification that the show is about to go live. So I know things like that are going on. There's issues with the algorithms. There's a major tech issues right now because of bandwidth problems. So make sure, A, that you're subscribed, but B, that you click that notification bell because YouTube loves to play with the algorithm, algorithms and screw everything up. And right now, uh, they're, they're purposely manipulating the algorithms to help out all the corporate-sponsored channels and bump those guys up and bump guys like me, independent operators, down the list. They love doing that. So uh, now that everyone is basically on quarantine and you got all the late night guys and stuff broadcasting from their house. How weird is that? Seeing Jimmy Kimmel and Trevor Noah and these guys broadcasting from their living room. And you see just how unfunny these people are. They're really, really unfunny when they don't have their dozens of writers and, and production people around. They're just, just no charisma, just no personality. Terrible. But they're corporate backed. So the algorithm is manipulated to help them and bump them up. And so they get, uh, they get higher up in the searches anyway, guys. So make sure that you're doing that. It's a major help to me. Okay. Uh, King Nello says Trevor Noah was never funny. I totally agree. I look, man, when, when John Stewart left, uh, the daily show, that show was finished. And the guy that they brought on Trevor Noah, I, I just don't get it. He's just not funny never was anyway let's get back to boxing okay hope you guys are uh, being safe out there enjoying your quarantine life um look man you got to do what you got to do hopefully this is the last month of it and may 1st we can go back somewhat to life as normal i don't think life's ever going to be like it was before i think that there's going to be a new normal but hopefully whatever the hell that's going to be we can get back to it may 1st Speaking of getting back to normal, man, wouldn't DAZN love to get back to where they were in the fourth quarter of last year? They had a brilliant fourth quarter run, one of the best schedules that we have seen uh, in boxing, I think, since you got to go back to the 90s to find a better three, four-month schedule than DAZN had at the very end of 2019. But it's really gone off the rails in 2020. Of course, it's gone off the rails for everybody, right? We've all been struggling. No one's putting out content. But the zone here in the United States particularly is a boxing streaming platform, right? So they don't have other sports to fall back on. And I get it. They have cricket. They have some – I think they have some MMA, but it's not the UFC, which is the major brand, right? 
That's like, uh, oh, we're doing football, but it's not the NFL, right? That's going to be a tough sell, especially when it's brand new. So uh, they're a boxing app, and right now they don't have any shoulder programming. And you guys who listen to my show, you've heard me talk about this before, that I've been saying this since, I don't know, almost a year ago. DAZN needs to pick up shoulder programming that is marketed and geared towards diehard fight fans. Diehard fight fans. Now, so many of these promoters and everything try to go after the casual fan, and I understand that. The casual fan, that's where the dollars are at. I get it. But day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, it's the diehard fans that keep this sport going. And let's face it, for the zone, they need diehard fans because the casual fans, they're going to tune in every now and then. Maybe they'll pay the $20 for a one-month subscription to watch Canelo Golovkin 3 because they saw those first two fights and they were so good. So maybe they get some casual fans for that. Maybe every now and then when Anthony Joshua fights or Canelo Alvarez fights or whatever it is, you get some casual fans buying in. But in between all that, it's the hardcore diehard fans buying in. And right now, the, the shoulder programming at the zone is this Akin Barak or Akin Barak. I don't even know how to pronounce their names. Akin Barak or Akin Barak. No one knows who the hell they are. Nobody gives a shit, right? And then they have, uh, I think they have a podcast, or, or I don't think it's a podcast, but some sort of show with a couple of the guys from the DAZN commentary crew, which is fine. I understand that. But if you're doing... If those guys are already doing the commentary during the live fights, fans don't want to hear from them necessarily in between the fights. They want to hear from boxing people, right? So right now I saw uh, PBC, I tweeted about this earlier. PBC is doing a thing where Ray Flores, is, uh, who's the ring announcer and calls some of their fights, I think every day this week is interviewing a different fighter. I think today it was Errol Spence. And they're putting that out on their social media. I think it was on their Instagram, their Twitter. Um, sorry about that, guys. I just got a huge notif- bell in my ear because someone's texting me during my show. I tell my family not to do that. Yeah, they just did it again. Okay. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, sorry about that ding, guys. That was loud. That just blew out my eardrums. <laughs> I tell my family, I'm about to go live. Don't text me. And what do they do? They freaking text me twice. So, anyway, um, where the hell was I? My eardrums are shattered. So, with the zone, man. You got to have shoulder programming that is geared toward the diehard fan. Because, look, what's happening right now with COVID, this is unprecedented, okay? I'm not even talking about this right now. I'm talking about just in a normal boxing schedule. You're going to have ebbs and flows. You're going to have ups and downs. And during the downtime, during the downtime for boxing schedules, you need some sort of shoulder programming to kind of hold fans over. You're trying to turn that down? It's right here. Sorry, guys. Tiffany's off camera. That's down. That's up. You want to turn that down? Just don't. Yeah, there you go. Tiffany's trying to turn down the notifications on my phone. So hopefully that will stop the dinging. Um, anyway, you need some. Th- this show's all over the place. Hey, it's quarantine life, okay? And technology is all over the place right now. So just deal with it. <laughs> Uh, they got to have something. It, I just listened to uh, the boxing rant today. My boys, Kenny and Vince, were talking about this. Last night, I did Inside Boxing Daily on the Grueling Truth uh, Network and talked to Mike Goodpaster and uh, Jeremiah the Press here about this. The zone has to have shoulder programming. 
you you have to have something and i don't get i'm not talking about the shit that's geared to the casual fan okay mike tyson's podcast or teddy atlas's podcast that shit is geared toward casual fans who know who those people are i ain't talking about that i'm talking about stuff that's geared toward the diehard educated fight fan people who watch this show people who watch the small club shows the mid-level shows boxing degenerates who buy every damn pay-per-view right that's who's subscribing to the zone that's who's subscribing to espn plus right now the big difference between espn plus and the zone is that espn plus on top of having that backing from disney and all that money they have from you know their corporate backing they're good but they have a ton of shoulder programming. They have the 30 for 30. They have other sports, major sports. You can get college football on there, right? You can watch all kinds of stuff. It's not just boxing. They have UFC, actual UFC. So if you're into that stuff, they have that. The zone here in the States, I, I get that in other parts of the world, they have different sports, but here in the States, it's just boxing. You got to have some shoulder programming to go along with your boxing programming so that and i'm not just talking about when the next pandemic hits forget that i'm talking about the next time the boxing schedule dips and you don't have a big fight for the next let's say six to eight weeks what holds diehards over is that kind of stuff right so i'm not going to personalize this i've talked about this before and some people talked a bunch of shit about me because i talk too much about myself okay forget about that let's say the zone picks up shows like the boxing rant T Street Controversy picks up uh, a, a podcast from the UK, a Spanish language podcast from Mexico. Okay, gets a few different, let's say five different podcasts from actual boxing guys on the beat. I'm not talking about Teddy Atlas, and I nothing against Teddy, but what he does is geared toward casuals. It's for clickbait. He called Gennady Golovkin a shot fighter last week to get clicks. It worked, by the way. You guys all helped him out there and made him some money with that. So good job. But that's geared toward a different fan base. That's the shit that you're going to see when Fury and Wilder fight for the third time, right? And you see all those preview shows for that pay-per-view. That's the type of people they're going to have on those preview shows because that's who they're trying to get. Who do I call it? Joe Sixpack, the middle America casual fight fan, okay, that tunes into one or two boxing shows a year. zone don't need to pick that shit up. So this Akin Barak or whatever the hell they got going on there, that ain't cutting it. Get on some real boxing people, some real boxing podcasts, not just from America. Get someone from the UK. Get someone from Mexico. Your boxing hotbeds. You've invested how many figures? Not not eight, not nine, but ten figures in Canelo Alvarez. That's the biggest star in Mexico. How about picking up a couple Mexican podcasts? Spanish language, and then you could translate them into English. How hard would that be? If you take somebody like, let's say, the boxing rat here in the States or some of these guys over in the UK, there's several I can name. The, the platform's already built. The, the following's already there, okay? Now, let, let's take my show, for example. Most of you guys watching this or listening to this, whether you're watching the video or listening to the audio, you probably already subscribe to The Zone or you will again once they start showing fights. So if they picked up my show they're not going to pick up subscribers from that. But what they will do is further serve the subscribers they already have. So if you pick up T Street, you pick up the Box of Grant, you pick up some Spanish language shows, UK shows, that serves the diehard fight fans that are subscribing to that platform when there is a lull in the boxing schedule or when there's a global pandemic. I've been saying this shit for about a year. Now everyone else, you're starting to hear it from other people too. 
because now it's starting to hit people. Holy shit, there's no boxing on. I'm paying for the zone. Let's see if the zone has anything else to watch besides old Demetrius Andre fights. Nope, they don't have shit. There's this Akin Barak guy. I don't know who the fuck these people are. I don't give a fuck. Unsubscribe. That's it. The people at the zone need to figure out what the fuck they're doing. All right, guys. Uh, a couple super chats I want to get to real quick. Let me get over here to the uh, to the YouTube chat. Oh, we got a few of you guys. Thank you so much for the super chats, man. Let me make sure I got all you guys on here. All right, I'm just catching up with the chat here on YouTube. Whoa, we got a bunch of comments. Pietro with the super chat. Thank you so much, Pietro. He asked, which pay-per-view boxing event will be aired first after coronavirus? My prediction, Errol Spence versus Danny Garcia in September. Sorry if you guys don't think that's pay-per-view worthy, but that's probably what you're going to (laughs) get. Ray Valero with the super chat. Thank you so much, Ray. He said, zone needs Montero. I agree with you, Ray. But again, this ain't about me. I don't give a shit. I mean, I'd love if they picked me up, but I want them to pick up a few actual boxing guys Again, from here in the States, the UK, and Mexico, if they pick up a Japanese podcast, that'd be awesome too. But the boxing hotbeds, the three top ones are the USA, the UK, and Mexico. Pick up three podcasts from there, man. It's going to cost you nothing. The technology is already built in. My technology sucks today, but normally my technology is built in. I can take calls on my show. I've got video. I've got audio. They can pick my shit up. It'll cost them pennies on the dollar for what they're paying for these other guys that no one gives a shit about. That's what I'm saying, whether it's me or somebody else. Uh, one more super chat. Survive with the super chat pledge. Thank you so much. He says, the zone needs to hire Montero. I appreciate it so much, guys. And once again, I agree. I do concur. All right, let's get over to our special guest today, guys. So I wanted to introduce this guy to the show. His name is Marty P. Hill. Now, some of you guys uh, may know who he is. If you've been in the boxing game for a while, some of you may not. But he owns a gym here in Atlanta, Sweet Science Boxing Club, that he's owned since 2009. So this is a small business owner that's getting hit right now in COVID, right? You think about the quarantine and everything else, the lockdown. It's affecting small businesses really, really badly. But what did I talk about last week when I talked about Boxing Monthly going away? I talked about boxing gyms struggling right now i know of several gyms that have gone under that just started boxing gyms hang on by a thread this guy has owned a boxing gym here in atlanta for over a decade before working at the gym he worked in the private sector as a senior recruiter uh, certified usa boxing coach usa boxing masters division chairperson he's also a three-time light heavyweight champ in the masters division 2011 2012 2014 Uh, graduate of the emmanuel stewart boxing clinic this man trained with Emmanuel Stewart, the late, great Emmanuel Stewart from my hometown, a wonderful human being, and one of the last true boxing teachers on planet Earth. Just a wonderful man, did so much for the sport, and this guy, Marty, trained with him. Uh, he puts on, puts on several tournaments here in Atlanta. One of them I'd like to fight in this summer if it still happens. We'll see. It was tentatively scheduled for August. We'll find out. But he recently had an all-female boxing tournament a couple months back, the Atlanta Classic. He's punched me in the head about 100 times, but it's okay. I've, I've punched him back a few times, too. Let's, uh, let's get him on the phone here and talk to Marty P. Hill. What's up, Marty? How you doing, man? Hey, what's going on, Montero Unboxing? How you doing today, brother? How's things going with man. you? Well, if I could figure Very out good. this damn technology, man. Uh, we had everything <laughs> set up, man, and everything works so beautifully, and then all of a sudden it takes a shit five minutes before I'm supposed to go live, but I think I got it figured out now. 
There you go. There you go. Well, let me step in here and, and, and say one thing, because I want to make sure that all, all the, the Kronk boxing people there in Detroit and the, the, the true Kronk boxing fighters know I had an opportunity to bring Emmanuel down when we first opened up the gym in 2009. Uh, he had started doing some boxing clinics and, and wanted to give back to amateur boxing. He felt that at the time that he had a lot of knowledge, obviously, to try to give out and give back to a lot of the young boxing coaches and some of the young amateur boxers. So we were able to actually bring him into Atlanta for one of his very first clinics. And I don't think he got a chance uh, to do uh, any, uh, any after that. Um, Cause not long after that, we ended up losing him. So, you know, I didn't get a chance to say, you know, per se train. I don't want anybody to get the impression that I was a cronk boxer. If that's an elite, very elite club and, and very few have the opportunity to be able to say that. But we did, or I did, get the chance to spend some good quality time with him in my own gym by bringing him, in, bringing him into Atlanta to uh, watch him do a boxing clinic with us. And then I was invited to come participate and watch um, when he was training Miguel Cotto for the uh, Mayorga fight uh, down in Hollywood, Florida, uh, for a couple of days as well. So got a chance to spend some good quality time with him and uh, a tremendous amount of experience and a tremendous experience that I would never give back and, and never trade. Because um, I think what you just mentioned – we don't have a lot of those experienced senior coaches around anymore who've been through the amateurs and been through the pro ranks and have built fighters. Uh, you don't right. see that a lot, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, you think about what he did with Lennox Lewis, where a lot of people were throwing Lennox Lewis in the scrap heap after those two knockout losses, and he worked with Lennox and turned out to be more than just a Hall of Fame career, but an all-time great career. I mean, most people look at Lennox – is a top five, top 10, maybe top five heavyweight. Some people think he's the best ever. And then look what he did with Vladimir Klitschko. I mean, Vladimir went on a 10-year tear in owner division for 10 years. And, I mean, Emmanuel worked with so many people. And I've spoken with a lot of folks like you that attended his clinics, that got to work with him, see him up close and personal. You know, unfortunately for me um, – I just wasn't high up enough in the boxing game yet you know, on the beat to have uh, really worked with him uh, in, the, in the press, you know. But I remember once as a kid, they were doing some sort of – I can't – there was all these events to help get kids off the streets and, you know, that kind of thing. And there was basketball tournaments I'd go to, and there was uh, – some of the Detroit Pistons would be there. I remember Vinnie Johnson did one, and I'd go to that kind of stuff. And Manny Stewart was at one once, and uh, that was – my, the most interaction I had with him, but I was just a kid. But, um, man, well, I'm, I'm jealous well, of you, bro, that you got to work with him like that. Well, I tell you what, what people don't like, and this, the funny thing about it is what people don't realize, you know, and some of the boxing peers may know, I'm not sure if you, I'm sure you've not seen it. You know, the irony of it is, you know, you mentioned Lennox, you mentioned Vladimir, you mentioned Vitaly, and you can go back and mention Prince Nassim Ahmed. You can go back, I mean, at the time. Um, in 2009, you know, Emmanuel had worked with more world champions than any other trainers, and I don't think that's been surpassed. But here's what people don't know. You know, Tim Sugar Hill is, is Emmanuel's nephew. Yep. Um, you know, he's the one that's keeping the Kronk name alive. And you look at Adonis Stevens, and you look at Tim, was the, well, is the one who corners and coaches and trains Tyson Fury. Right. Uh, there's some clips out there where, where Emmanuel was predicting years back uh, where Tyson Fury was a Kronk member for a little while, and Emmanuel was helping and working with working with him when he's coming out of the amateurs. So people think that uh, you know that Tyson just popped up on the scene and all of a sudden you know became a heavyweight contender. No, he's been around for a super long time, and uh, Emmanuel had put his stamp of approval on him a long, long time ago. And if you watch his style of boxing, 
he has a classic Kronk, uh, Emmanuel Stewart, Tim Sugarhill style of fundamentally sound, good, long, tall, heavyweight boxing. Stay long, work at the end of your jab, stay light in your feet, keep your opponent away from you, keep him moving so you can't get stationary and get caught. You know, that's, that's, the, that's a manual style of heavyweight training, you know, for those tall, uh, super heavyweight style guys. And Tyson has it. Good head movement, good feet. You know, I remember you told us at one, of, at one of our clinics, he used to mention that Vladimir would spend hours just working on his footwork, yep. just hours just, just working on basic fundamental footwork. You know, and if you look at all those heavyweights that Emmanuel, even the middleweights and the welterweights he trained, they all had superb fundamental footwork. And if you look at Tyson Fury, same thing. They all, that staple is one, a fantastic jab. You look at Tyson, great jab. You know, so those fundamentals were there as well uh, with Tyson. And ironically, when we had our clinic in Atlanta and Emmanuel came, a young heavyweight came from Alabama and participated in the clinic. A young uh-huh. Deontay Wilder. So we've got the pictures and we've got some photos of Emmanuel holding the mitts for for a Deontay. So I tell you, the the world is a strange place, and it always comes back full circle. It always comes back full circle because boxing is such a, a small community. You know, I feel like globally the martial arts community is huge. You know, there's so many different martial arts, but uh, obviously, you know, we're partial to boxing. But I feel like the community is so small. And you just end up bumping into people over and over and over again. And there's always this six degrees of separation, right? And, uh, but, you know, let's talk about your gym, Marty, because, you know, I've trained there. I was trying to get back there (laughs) this month, actually, or next month. And, um, you know, you you do tournaments here in uh, in the Atlanta area. I just want to talk to you about how this COVID thing with the shutdown, everything is affecting your small business you know before you jumped on here i was talking about the zone and right now a bunch of people are dropping their subscription to the zone because the zone's not providing them with anything for you know there's no content that they're creating and then there's so many different options right but with boxing gyms boxing gyms provide a community you know especially for younger people but also for for people of all ages and it's not like there's a boxing gym around every corner they're rare things these days. And I think people don't understand the overhead costs associated with it. They're not cheap to run. There's a ton of costs associated. Uh, can you just talk about that a little bit, how this thing has hurt you guys right now? Yeah, Michael, sure. Um, and, and I appreciate you asking that question. Uh, this coronavirus or the Corona-19 pandemic is impacting, you know, not just the, the small business industry, but it's obviously having a direct impact on the fitness business because we were one of the first institutions that were forced by government local and and national mandates to shut down and close so some of us have been closed or unoperational for a lot longer than some of these other places that are still actually operating so to your point if you you take that as one equation into a business or a industry specific industry of, of boxing fitness you're already usually in a struggling scenario as is before a pandemic like this happens. Um, You know, you usually have three levels of of gyms or clubs, you know, within that, under that boxing umbrella, you'll have the the not-for-profit community club or the PAL, which is ran by that city or the police athletic league. Um, Then you also have your 
or not-for-profit organizations that may not be community centers, they may not be PAL-type programs, but they could be ran by an individual who just has a not-for-profit arm and can sustain. And then, of course, you have your private facilities, you know, or let me go back a little bit. You have your franchise private facilities. You know, those can be your big box, you know, title boxings or tap-out fitnesses, your UFC gyms, you know, places like that that are franchises that are owned and operated and ran by large conglomerates. Then you have people like myself who are LLC, sole proprietorship. You know, we do this for the love. We do it for the passion. You know, this is how we make our living. This is how we pay our bills. This is how we feed our families. Um, and it's, it's, it's going to be it's a struggle um, because right now we're non-operational. We have no clients coming in the doors. Uh, we're not able to obviously bring in new uh, clients or, or, or new members, and we don't know when that's going to happen again. Um, someone like myself, I've, I have an anomaly gym. You know, I do, thankfully, all facets. You know, we do the cardio boxing, the fitness boxing, kids boxing, master's boxing, which is adult competitive level boxing. And then I do, you know, boxing shows. You know, I had a show uh, here scheduled for April 18th, you know, here in my gym uh, that we were looking forward to that now has been counted and, and been put on hold. So it's, it's having a direct impact. Um, you know, we're all trying to stay positive and hope that the government steps in and helps us all in some shape, fashion, or form. But... You know, we don't know what's going to happen. And what we want to do is encourage, and I'm sure you have a question for me next, but we want to encourage people out there that are listening how important it is to keep those memberships going if you can. Uh, If you are still gamefully employed and still generating revenue, even though you're unable to come into your gym right now, and it's not to the fault of your gym owner, your trainer, your coach, it's what we've been mandated to do. But please trust and believe that you've got to keep those funds going. You know, keep your EFTs going. Keep your gym memberships going, you know, slide something on the door for them, call your coaches, check on them. Because to the point you mentioned earlier, if people don't do that, when they return, as you mentioned about the zone and everything with combat sports is taking a hit. Boxing clubs and boxing gyms will be the ones the most directly impacted because their pockets are not deep enough to sustain for two or three months. And they're going to be gone. If the clients, customers, athletes, whoever comes in those gyms now, when they're open, please continue to do what you're doing while they're closed. Yeah, I hear you, man. Because I think what people don't understand is it's not like the mortgage or the rent or whatever stops. You still got to pay those bills. You still got to pay your utilities, the rent, everything else. So, hey, guys, I, I can tell you because I've trained with Marty. I've been in the gym with him, and we've worked together. We've probably sparred damn near 100 rounds together, just the two of us. But um, – I mean, I've been in there when you were training kids. He's got kids in there. He's got uh, all different levels of fighters. You know, I know that you do a lot of, uh, I guess we'd be called white collar boxing too. Mm-hmm. Um, you work with a lot of business people and stuff like that. I want to talk a little bit about that too, uh, because that seems to be like a growing thing, like a master's division stuff and then white collar boxing. But you kind of do everything. I mean, you've worked with all sorts, basically all levels. And I know that you've been out to L.A., you've been to some of the gyms there, right? Um, so you, yeah. ca- you know everybody in the mm-hmm. business, basically. Um, but how do you keep things running right now as an independent guy versus, let's say, an, like L.A. Fitness, that's a national chain. They're going to be fine. You know, they're shutting down. It's a national thing. You talked about, like, title boxing, tap out, that kind of stuff. Those are national chains. They should be okay. But you as an independent operator, you can't go around right now and do private lessons. You can't do stuff like that. How do you stay afloat right now? 
Well, the name of the game right now is just like just like being a good boxer, right? It's survival. Not every round's going to go your round, you know. And if you're training for a, a, a three round, four round bout, but you're scheduled for ten or twelve, and the only thing you've been doing is training enough miles, hitting the bags, and only enough sparring for a two or three round fight. When round five and round six comes, you're going to be ass out of luck, right? So that's the same mentality you better have as a small business owner. Days like this are going to always going to come whether it's a, a bad weather storm that comes in and shuts you down for two or three weeks, you know, it could be a, could be a snowstorm, you know, or a tornado could blow into a community and, and damage property and shut you down. Um, you know, this time around, it happened to be an illness and a pandemic, but having been a business owner for 10 years, you got to automatically already know, you know, once every couple of years, you're going to be faced with something, you know, have we ever been faced with something like this? No, obviously it's something none of us have ever experienced. You know, I'm 45 years old in my time on this planet, I've never seen anything like this, not a pandemic of this nature. So you've got to keep reinventing yourself. You know, we're doing a lot of online training, going live on our social media feeds, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, you know, our, our, our YouTube pages. So I'm still coming in daily to the gym, still working almost a full day of, of shooting live videos to my customers who are still part of our business. You know, they have a receivable that we're delivering to them so they can stay upbeat and stay consistent with their workouts, not just because they're clients of ours, you know, we want them to stay healthy, build their immune systems, and keep moving. So we're giving them that back, and not just our customers, but we're posting that to anybody that's open to it. Uh, I also shoot personal daily boxing training tips for the experienced boxer, the competitive boxer. You know, for, for those that want to work on some technique and work on some things, you know, I'm posting something daily that says, hey, look at this, try this, work on that. So when you right. do return back to your gyms, you should be better than when you left. So fortunately, I'm actually pretty busy enough to – have a lot of things to be working on on the business because I'm not having to work in the business. Cause as you know, you come in the gym, you see me, I'm sparring with the guys, I'm holding the mitts. I'm, you know, running the classes, you know, I'm doing the marketing, I'm doing the stuff. I do everything in my business. I'm a sole proprietor. So this is giving me time to build up content, you know, in other areas that I haven't had the chance to do that. So I'm taking advantage of this time to hopefully get ahead of the curve when we return for things that I should have been doing almost three or four years ago. Um, you know, so I, it keeps me motivated, keeps me busy, you know, and that's what I would be encouraging my other colleagues in this business to be finding something else to be reinventing themselves in during this time. So their businesses will be further along than where they were when we had to temporarily shut our door, shut our doors. That's a great point because I see a lot of uh, boxing gyms and stuff where they're not posting anything. And I see you've been posting almost daily boxing videos, just just basics, just you know, boxing one on one stuff. Whether it's working a double end bag, whether it's shadow boxing, whatever it is, and I think that's great. I think that you know, keeping material going, keeping it out there, that's smart. Again, I, I talked about at the top of the show. Uh, PBC is doing an interview with a, a different fighter every week. Today it was Errol Spence, just to put out some content. I know that uh, Matchroom, Eddie Hearn, who's been doing that over in the UK, he's been putting out videos. I think people need to stay busy right now and keep content flowing. Uh, just for boxing gyms in general, I, I mean, and Marty, I've seen, like, you've driven kids to, to tournaments and stuff. I've seen you do that kind of thing. Running a gym, being a trainer, getting involved like that, it's not just a job, right? It's actually a lifestyle. Is it not? it's like a way of life because I see you doing things outside of the gym hours where again, you're driving kids to tournaments, you know, you're meeting with their families. I've seen you do that kind of stuff. Is, is it, 
Is that part of the reason why it's so hard to keep it running? And is that part of the reason why so many people don't want to do it? Because it's more than just a job. Yeah, no, Mike, that's a great question. And you know what? This is why I tell people when they ask me, oh, man, you know, how, how you know, do you still love what you're doing? And do you enjoy what you're doing? And how did you get into it? Or, hey, man, I want to open up a boxing gym. I, I, you know, I, I want to do what you're doing. And I tell them, I say, hey, look, this is a relationship. This is a marriage. You know, I just recently got engaged, you know, after 45 years last May. And people go, well, man, how did you wait so long? I said, I was married to a business, you know, and I'm still married to this business. This business still comes. Okay, let my fiance hear that. You know, it still comes <laughs> first. And, 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 you know, and that's, you know, kind of, you know, what got my fiance, you know, to the point where she is my fiance because of that exact reason. You know, hey, this comes first, and and it takes a lot. I'm away from hey, my and family, and to her credit, my friends. Not to interrupt, but to her credit, number one, she's a beautiful, wonderful lady. But she was right there helping out at the tournament in February, I, right? So she's she there you go. just like mine. I found a soldier too, man, where she's backing me up with my boxing stuff the same way. Uh, so anyway, sorry, I just had to put that out there, man. When you have a partner like that, you know you got to keep her. Yeah, I mean, like, like, like uh, yours as well. I mean, you have to, you know. When we ran into you guys there at the the Javante Davis fight here in Atlanta, she's right. right there by your side, and a lot of people don't understand that because I'm gone, me personally, from seven o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night every day, and then if it's a boxing tournament on the weekend, I'm gone, so I'm not able to participate in a lot of things. You know, I, you know, I can't go to the movies in the evening or do dinners or when we're hosting tournaments, I'm staying at the hotel away from my family. So it's not just a commitment on me. It's a commitment for everybody involved. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, when you're a small business owner, whether it be a restaurant or, uh, you know, a, a clothing store, some of those things play into it, but you're right. When it's the boxing, I'm with my fighters at the weigh-in, you know, at the check-in, um, at the, you know, the, the midday coaches meeting. Um, and all this happens before we even box. So a Saturday could be uh, 7 o'clock in the morning getting to a weigh-in. We might not box to 5 p.m. that evening. So I'm still there keeping my boxer motivated, keeping them energizing, keeping them, you know, uh, focused, um, you know, and then to turn around right back. And that could be a, a tournament Saturday and Sunday to turn around right back and be back in the gym on a Monday. So what I tell people is this, like any relationship, passion gets you in it, but love is going to make you stay. You have to have a great amount of passion to even get in the door. But when times get hard and times become challenging, it's going to be the absolute love for it that's going to make you go through these tough, tough, tough times. And if you don't love this sport, whether it be competing at it or trying to run a business at it, it will destroy you. And I think any coach, like you said, I've been to been at Wildcard, been around Emmanuel, met Freddie. I've talked to a bunch of people in this business, and anyone that's really ingrained in this will tell you the same thing, from the promoter down to the boxer to the gym owner. You better love it because if you don't love it, it will, just, it, it will leave a really bad taste in your mouth. So that's what I would give anybody, you know, the first thing about anyone trying to get into business. Have a passion. Hone your skills for it. Then when you know that you truly love it, then you get married to it, like any good relationship. Because it's going to have its good days, and it's bad days. Yeah, there's definitely boxing will give you bad days, <laughs> even if even if uh, <laughs> more bad days. Than yeah, good man, I, I hear that, brother. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of bad days in boxing. It, it is like uh, 
it is definitely like a marriage with a lot of arguments, but really great sex. So you have, you know, your arguments, you hate each other, but then you have the great makeup sex. Probably the best makeup sex there is. So uh, that's yeah, how you stay yeah. addicted to it. But, um, you know, you talked about the passion, the love. You know, I, I share that same love with the sport, obviously, that, that you do. And when I moved here to Atlanta, uh, part of it was because me and my fiance, we wanted to target, you know, an affordable city that's growing, has a good market. But I looked at Atlanta as an untapped resource for boxing. I, so I wanted to talk to you about this because you've known the commission people here for a while. You've, you've been in Atlanta forever. Um, what is the problem with Atlanta in boxing? Javante Davis fought here at the end of last year. You were there. You saw the crowd. The place was packed. They were passionate about seeing him. A lot of the fighters, particularly the black American fighters, uh, a lot of them have homes here or hang out down here. You mentioned Deontay coming to your gym and working out well before he was Deontay, right? Uh, he, he comes down here. I know Javante has a home here. He has a daughter here. Uh, why, can't, why can't we see more shows in Atlanta? What's the problem? Why, why, do, why don't the shows come here? I just don't understand. Well, I think the biggest reason why is this, and I think you kind of keyed in on it. I mean, boxing is a very unique sport, right? And you got to have people that have really deep pockets that are willing to invest in something that usually there's no net return on. And let's be honest. I mean, Atlanta is a red hot city. You know, it's red it hot is. for conventions. Atlanta doesn't lack. Atlanta doesn't lack for high level entertainment, entertainment convention or draws, right? You got to think. The Final Four were supposed to be here right now. Just had the Super Bowl here last year. We Super, just had it doesn't the, get bigger NCAA than the Super football Bowl. championship. You know, so you, when you look at that grand scheme of things, Atlanta is a hotbed for attraction, right? And because of that, the we don't have that many convention centers. We don't have a casino. So there are not that many ancillary places that you can take a very large event and put it in unless you're willing to invest a boatload of money. So let's not forget with the Javante Davis who came in with a boatload of money and made that thing happen, right? And, 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 the, and the pure boxing community had been saying for years that it was going to take Floyd. It was going to take Oscar. It was going to take Bob, someone with a lot of deep pockets and that was looking to more so build an audience and not worry about the ticket sales and making revenue to come into like the State Farm or the Phillips Arena or the Mercedes-Benz Stadium and fill that up with the boxing audience knowing they probably weren't going to get much of a return right now, but they could build something for the future. You know, if we had casinos here or other little small convention centers um, that had other ancillary items around it, you know, i.e. Jersey, the, you know, the boardwalk, or, you know, you got L.A., you've got, obviously, you got Vegas, you know, you've got other things that draw those people in, not just the boxing. And I think that's the big reason why you don't see big boxing here. Now, the challenge of little boxing is that, I mean, Atlanta, it, it's a, it's a popping city. People want to see the up and, not the up and comer, but the already established, right? And, you know, you're not going to be on the phone for forever about, and it's kind of disappointing because with this next level of Olympics coming up, you know, we had a good crop of Olympic level athletes getting ready to come out of the amateurs right. who are getting ready to be the next generation of some very elite level pros that we're going to need venues like in Atlanta and Texas and these other places who don't get a lot of the mid-level stuff, you can come build an audience and build a fan base here. And I think after this Olympics, you're going to see some of the Eddie Hearns and some of the guys who are bubbling up to that next level super promoter 
coming to places like Atlanta and trying to find venues and doing things. And it's sad, but this coronavirus is going to help set that back because yeah. we were kind of already having a little bit of activity with some local promoters from other states coming in and doing things consistent in clubs and other places. But now that's even been put on, on, been on pause. But we were kind of getting there. But it's also a football town. Always is, always will be. Yeah, I know this, like, college football is really big here. Like, people like, uh, what is it, the Georgia Bull? Is it the Bulldogs? Georgia Bulldogs, yeah, yeah right now. Go I, dogs. See, I see that flag everywhere. <laughs> I just see that flag on people's car. <laughs> and uh, I just, I, I'm like, yo, there's a pro team, too. But, yeah, I mean, Atlanta has, uh, the Falcons have that new stadium downtown, which is awesome, by the way. I went to one of those games. Holy shit, that mm -hmm. stadium's amazing. But I just, I don't get it, man, because... You know, I've been to smaller cities that have more of a boxing following. I think, though, it starts at the community level. And who knows? Maybe I can help get involved in the commission here and try to bring some small stuff here. But it, the, the, the money's definitely here, and the media's here. Atlanta has a media presence. It's never going to be L.A. It's never even going to be New York. But it's, it's definitely a player. It's, it's in the top five media market-wise in America. It's got to be right around there. And, again, you've had an Olympics here. You've had a Super Bowl here. I think they've actually had a couple Super Bowls here, right? There's, uh, yeah, yeah. We just, had the, we just had the most recent two years ago. The Super Bowl, two, a year, Super Bowl last year was here. That's, yeah, uh, so that, that was right when I moved Patriots here. Patriots Super Bowl. Yeah. And I think, ago, yeah. Wasn't there one here in the 90s? Or maybe, maybe I'm mistaken that with the Olympics or something. But – I know that there's a lot of film production, TV production. I'm just like, man, I don't understand. I know Top Rank has talked about bringing Terrence Crawford here. I think Terrence Crawford would crush it here. I think he could do a good crowd mm -hmm. here. I, for the life of me, and I told Tim Smith this at PBC, I was like, dude, bring Deontay Wilder to Atlanta. Do you not understand how big he would be here? And he goes, Mike, I know, but the money, blah, blah, blah. So they've actually talked about if, if Deontay ever gets a title back and he has a mandatory, maybe that fight could happen here. But I, like, I thought his mandatory fight against Dominic Brazil, that was an opportunity where you could have brought that fight to Atlanta, could have did something. I just think people always look at the big shows. They got to bring the big stars and the big shows, and I, I get that. You got to bring your Javante Davis, your Deontay Wilder, but it starts at the club level. They need so, some promoter with a five-year plan needs to come here and put on regular shows. In the Los Angeles area, Thompson Boxing is a club-level promoter out there in Southern California. Maybe an hour or so outside of uh, L.A. in the Inland Empire, they do a show once or twice a month out there at the same hotel. And I've actually done commentary. I've called some of those fight cards live. Uh, they've hired me to do that before. So I've been at those shows a few times and just seen – they always do a crowd. Now, it's only 500 people or something like that, but it's always sold out. They do a crowd. They do local shows. They bring up prospects there. And that's the kind of thing that someone has to start here. But they have to be willing to put in the money because you're not going to make money doing that shit for at least the first five years. But down the road, you can actually make money. Thompson Boxing does all right. They discovered Timothy Bradley. They've brought certain guys up before that became champions. I just think, man, someone's got to do that here. I, when Remember when Evander Holyfield did his promotion for a while? They headquartered that in New York. I could never understand why Evander Holyfield, you're going to do a promotional company. Why are, you gonna, why are you taking that shit to New York? 
I thought that was a blown opportunity. They could have built something here. Anyway, I could rant about that for ages, man. I want to make sure I've hit on everything with you um, that I wanted to talk about. Uh, let's. Well, really... like I said before, I think – Go ahead. I, yeah. Not to cut you off, I, I think with what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Again, I, I think we were kind of on the cusp of that. I think eventually we'll see that. I mean, I, obviously, we saw the turnout and – and the Javante fight, and that was a huge, again, that's a State Farm Arena, right? That's a huge arena, you know, and, and he almost, you know, packed it out. I mean, you were there, I was there, it started off slowly. You know, people didn't come in to see the prelims, but by the time he got there, I mean, it was a packed house, yeah. which surprised a lot of us. So it can happen, and, and I agree. It's got to start with the grassroots, but I think the other challenge is you can't compare Atlanta to, to New York and L.A.s and the Texases because, you know, if you look at the per capita of registered licensed pro boxers in those states, compared to the number that we have here in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, it, it's probably about 60 or 70% different, uh, if not higher than that. Probably higher. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I've always said that you got to get one of these, you know, a B team, you know, you get a top ranked B team, you get a, you get a, a golden boy B team, you get a, a Floyd B team, you know, come in, you get a local promoter here, you bring some of those guys, but those guys build some of their fighters here in Atlanta, build a stable, get them active, put some money into it, and then you would have something. Because in the, the day, the product is still the product, which is what? The fighting, right? The boxing. The boxing got to be of high caliber. And if you don't have a good product, you can have an arena. You can be putting shows on every week. But nobody wants to see, you know, somebody who can't fight, A, or see somebody who's got real potential, you know, to the next level. They got to be able to see that. You got to be able to promote that. You got to put them on the radio. You got to put them on the TV. You got to get them on reality. You know, all these different facets go with that. And as you know better than anybody, building a fighter in the gym is one thing. You know, building him outside the gym is a whole different ball game. Yeah, yeah. I, this city, from look, I've only lived here about a year and a half. You know Atlanta way better than me, obviously. But from what I've seen here, it's a very uh, white collar city. It's a city with a lot of money, and I I know that there's got to be fighters here. There's got to be kids that you know that they could tap into and build. But you, as you mentioned, it's such a big football community. Um, is this ACC, I think, college football? Is this ACC? Well, or? well you, you've got ACC and SEC here. But okay. Let me go back really quick just to touch on that. Just think of Vegas. Most Vegas fighters aren't born and raised and raised in Vegas. They, go, they do what? They move to Vegas because that's where the fights are, right? They move to Vegas because they know that's likely them getting on a fight card somewhere at some casino at some point because that's where the activity is. So to that point that you're getting ready to mention, you can do it here, and most of these guys, you know, and girls both have homes, or they come here and travel and take, you know, advantage of our nightlife. But you got to draw some of them to be here, and then have an outlet for them to participate in something. It's not going to necessarily be. It's not going to be grown with homegrown Atlanta fighters as much as we would love it to be, and that's what we've tried to do for years. Now it's about bringing in the horsepower, having an event, having venues, having a, a promotion, and drawing these top level amateurs who live in New York and live in LA and live in Houston and live in wherever they live to come to Atlanta and say, Hey, I'm going to move to Atlanta and I'm going to be part of this promotion and fight in Atlanta, you know, my first 10 or 15 fights, you know, and draw a crowd and an audience here in Atlanta. That's what you'll have. will build this thing up. Not necessarily have to, have to be a local kid. That would be great, obviously, but just having a good quality fighter could be just as beneficial and move it around or move it along a lot faster. That's a great point, man. That's a really, really great point. And yeah, if you had the right platform and you took a group of kids 
and kind of build up their careers here. Now, eventually, they're going to have to leave the nest. They're going to have to fight in L.A. They're going to have to fight in Las Vegas. But, you know, that's where maybe they're going to win their titles. But they come back here and do a title defense, you know, or something like that. Uh, That's how you build up that following. And the thing with Atlanta, you know, people call it Black Hollywood. Yes, of course, it it is. But there's a lot of other communities here. I've noticed there's a large Mexican-American community here. There's a huge – I didn't realize this. The second biggest Korean community in America is in Atlanta. Who the hell knew that? Mm -hmm. There's a large Vietnamese community. There's all these different communities here. There's even an Eastern European community here and everything else. So you can market – to different types of fighters. You know, it's it's not just you got to have – I think when people think Atlanta, it's it's ignorant to just think it's got to be black fighters or something like that. Yes, that's the biggest demographic here with all the money and everything, sure. But there's all these other different immigrant groups, and there's a ton of people moving here from New York and from L.A., like myself, assholes like me driving up the cost of the homes here. <laughs> Sorry. But... Well, well, right. And then to that point, I mean, look at Oscar. I mean, that, that was a brilliant – that's what Oscar did that with, uh, with his, his – what was the first thing? Oh, the L.A. night – the L.A. fight. I mean, he, oh, LA he fi- yeah, focused yeah. on the – yeah. He, he focused on the Latin and the Mexican community, community there in L.A., and Victor, I remember watching Victor Ortiz and all those guys come up, and and that's all he put, and that's all. I mean, that's of course what people have been, you know. I, I love Oscar, but that's been the biggest thing on him. Well, he's only signing, you know, Latin American or Mexican American fighters and Mexican fighters. Well, he's got an outlet for that. He's got a demographic that's watching. He's got a built-in demographic it. base, right? Built there. a built-in demographic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant business model. It was brilliant, and it worked. I mean, look at all those guys that came out of that. You know, I mean, Victor Ortiz, and you can name name a, a bunch of guys. Yeah, there's a million of them. That, I think, yeah, a million. I think that might have been even on USA at one time. So yeah, yeah. I mean, they had so. a, they had um, what they call it, LA Fight Club. That was more recent, right? That's where it. um, like I think JoJo Diaz might have fought on some of those cards. Guys like that. So I mean, yeah, you have to have. And the thing is, they have that built-in community there, and I get it. The community here, the built-in community, is going to be. The black Hollywood community. I get that. That's where the money and the investing could come from. I just, if you had a couple of these actors pool together and put some real money up together, you really could build something here. But Marty, we could talk about this all day, my man. Um, I hope you guys are staying safe, man. Um, before I let you go, because I'm going to jump off here in a minute, uh, let everyone know where they could find your stuff, where they can find you on social and find out more about your gym and what you do. Yeah, no, Mike, I appreciate that. Again, this is Sweet Science Fitness Boxing Club in Atlanta, Georgia. Our, our website is sweetsciencefitness.com. You can follow us on Instagram with the same tag, Sweet Science Fitness Boxing, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Facebook, same, Sweet Science Fitness. YouTube page as well. So follow us, please. Support us. Um, but more so important, if you're in the boxing community, if you're a boxing fan, I think Mike touched on it a lot, you know, stay, stay with this. You know, stay with the community. Support your local boxing gym. Support your local boxing clubs. Check on your coaches. Make sure they're staying active. Make sure they're staying healthy. You know, I mean, a lot of boxing coaches are, you know, are up there in age. So make sure they're staying healthy. You know, but support these gyms. Keep these gyms open. Keep the sport of boxing around. So when the time does come, when the doors open back up, we can all rush back in and pick right back up where we left off. I mean, boxing was red hot before this happened. TV, events every week. You know, I mean, we were really moving to the next level of boxing. Boxing was back, and let's make sure we keep it that way, you know, when we put this thing behind us. Coach Marty Hill. 
Thank you so much for being on the show, man. Let's do it again sometime, brother. Thanks, Mike. I look forward to punching you in the face until everything's fine. <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm going to get a couple counters back at you, Coach. All right, Coach. Have a good one. <laughs> Take care, buddy. All right, man. All right, guys. Uh, Coach Marty Hill. Yes, he has definitely punched me in the face at least 100 times. Um, yeah, he's fast. He's very fast. <laughs> he's definitely faster than me. Uh, okay, so look, man. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I saw some of you guys on the chat asking for more about what Marty does. Um, again, he does a little bit of everything in boxing. Yes, he has worked with pro fighters. I saw a couple of you guys asking that. He's worked with high-level amateurs. Uh, he's competed at a high level as an amateur himself. And um, look, guys, the reason why I wanted to bring Marty on, not only because he's a friend of mine and, and, and I've worked with him a lot, but he's a guy who's on the front lines, okay? So I bring on other people in the media. I've, I've brought on, you know, other um, – I guess, peers of mine on that side of the street, if you will, I wanted to bring on somebody running a gym and not doing it in LA where there's a hundred gyms and LA is boxing crazy. And there's almost a built-in community for it. I wanted to talk to somebody and present to you guys, somebody who lives in quote unquote, middle America, Atlanta, running a boxing gym. I can count the number of boxing gyms in all of Metro Atlanta with one hand. Okay. It's not even five. I'm talking, when I say boxing gym, I mean dedicated solely to boxing. What you find here in Atlanta, to me, the way Atlanta is built, it's kind of like a giant suburb. There is a downtown and everything, and it's pretty live and happening. I actually enjoy downtown Atlanta, but Atlanta is built like a giant suburb, which is kind of how most American cities are built. You got LA, New York, Chicago, and that's about it. Everything after that is a giant suburb. It's just the way American cities are built, especially newer cities, which Atlanta is. I, I understand it goes back and everything, but Atlanta being a big city, that's a newer thing. You don't have a lot of boxing-only dedicated gyms. What you get is a place like, um, I think, Tap Out Fitness or something like that where they'll have a little corner, <coughs> a corner of the gym that's boxing, right? They quote-unquote boxing. It's basically an MMA gym, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's an MMA gym where it will say MMA, Muay Thai, wrestling, boxing. They'll have one guy there who boxed a little bit for a couple of months, and he'll say, I'm a boxing coach, and they'll have a little corner in that gym where they do boxing, right? And maybe there's a couple of heavy bags, double-end bags, and the area to skip rope, and that's it. The rest of the gym is mats to do Muay Thai stuff and judo and all that shit because that's what most of the – Younger people in middle America, the suburban communities, the white-collar communities, middle-class communities, that's what they're into and that's what they're doing. You don't find outside of L.A., Vegas, Houston, Dallas, okay, Chicago, outside the cities, not even Chicago doesn't even have that many gyms. Outside of those boxing hotbeds, you just don't find many gyms in most cities. So I wanted to get, show you guys, just give you that perspective from somebody who's on the front lines trying to run a gym works with a lot of kids. There's two kids he actually has right now that, you know, I've been in there and I've seen a lot of those kids spar and train. There's two of them that look really good. Like they have a future, like two of them, two Mexican American kids that he's training right now. And he's really taken under his wing and he's really trying to mentor them. Uh, just being in that world in a place like Atlanta, which is not a boxing hotbed. So I hope you guys enjoyed some of that insight, man. Uh, let's see if any of you guys want to get on the phone here, have at it. Call in. I saw somebody jumped on the line earlier, then dropped off. Um, if you want to call back, do that. 
But uh, if not, no worries, man. Next week, we're going to have Mark from Unrivaled Boxing Talk here on the show. Uh, I think that'll be fun. Mark calls in a lot, and he has great calls. Uh, really knows his stuff when it comes down to boxing history. So I think that will be fun to have him on. If you guys could think of any particular subjects you want us to hit, um, whether it's boxing history or modern boxing stuff, let me know. Drop a, a comment here and, and, and let me know or DM me, whatever it is. Let me jump over to the phones here. We got a call. Ask and you shall receive. 447, you're on the line. Go. Hey, Mike. Sorry. Do you know what? I'm really unprepared right now because uh, because I didn't expect to get on that quickly. Um, so I saw a really, really good uh, tweet earlier. Found it now. Sorry. How you doing? How's everything? Good. How you doing, man? Yeah, sorry, I jumped in right now. No, it's um, all good. So the tweet was, would the results of these fights be different if they were fought two or five years, two to five years, depending on the fight earlier? Um, so there was Jones Tarver, Hagler Leonard, Floyd Pacquiao, Golovkin Canelo, Vlad versus AJ and Fury, Holyfield Lewis, Holyfield Tyson. So I want each of those. It's hard to remember. So I'll go Jones Tarver first. Go ahead. I, every single one of those would be different. If boxing is you not, reckon? every single one of them would be different. I, I right. Now, okay. Um, timing is everything. I mean, it's sure. you know sometimes it's who, it's what, it's where, you know, all that. But it's also when. So Jones Tarver, are we talking about the first one or the rematch? Yeah, I think this is well either or. I suppose I okay. think this is number one. Yeah, if that happened a couple of years earlier, before Roy Jones used uh, <clears throat> some artificial enhancers <laughs> to move up in weight and destroyed his body, um, yeah, you have to favor Jones in his absolute prime before he bulked up in weight pretty big over Tarver. I mean, Tarver, good fighter, okay. But other than those wins over that win over Jones, and a lot of people thought that he won the first fight. Um, what else did he do? I mean, he had a couple of good wins, mm. right? But, I mean, Jones was just a much better fighter. But I'll, let's hit a few more of those on your list. Okay, Hagler Leonard is next. Hagler, I was going to say destroyed. He would never have destroyed Leonard, but he would have been <laughs> much better early on. I think what Leonard did by waiting out Hagler and look, let's let's give Leonard props. I mean, he was a welterweight fighting a middleweight, so he deserves credit. He did like imagine Floyd Mayweather fighting for the middleweight championship. That's what Leonard did. Now, yes, it was an older version of Hagler. He weighed them out. I think that's what Canelo basically tried to do with Golovkin. Had they fought earlier, yeah, you got to yeah. favor Hagler. And a lot of people still feel Hagler beat Leonard. What sure. else? Uh, you mentioned is, uh, Floyd Pacquiao. Oh, dude, yeah that that might be the biggest one on your list. I mean, you go back five years. That fight happened in 2015. So if you go back to 2010, and especially if you do that fight at 140, but even if it's at 47, dude, that is a 50-50 fight. And Floyd knew it. I and agree. I'm not saying Floyd ducked. He avoided. He just he was being a businessman. Yeah. He didn't duck Pacquiao because he ended up fighting him. But five years earlier, that's a pick em fight. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that could have been a great trilogy. And I think if there were three fights, Floyd might have won two of them. I but completely Pacquiao agree. I think possibly that he would have got the best of him at one of those occasions. I think Pacquiao, I think the first fight could have looked like 
Canelo Golovkin, where it would have been a very close, debatable decision, maybe a draw, uh, you know, a majority draw or a split mm-hmm. decision that had fans arguing. Then the second fight, uh, let's say Floyd gets the benefit of the doubt in the first fight and wins a decision that most people don't feel he won. Then in the second fight, Pacquiao wins legitimately. Then in the third fight, Mayweather makes adjustments and wins definitively. The tragedy yeah. of that era, of the Mayweather-Pacquiao era, is that that fight didn't happen three times. It should have been a trilogy. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, next one on the list. Sorry, I'm taking up loads of time. Glovkin, Canelo, you've already sort of covered that. And yeah, I know Golovkin, knocks, does, Golovkin doesn't just beat theory. Canelo. Golovkin probably stops Canelo if it's five years before. Yeah, But yeah. even two years before, he yeah. would be favored probably to stop Canelo late. Definitely it'd be a wide decision win. Klitschko versus Joshua. He knocks out Joshua if that's a couple years prior. Knockout. Not decision. Knockout. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And Klitschko in his prime against yeah. Fury. I, I understand that Fury's style was always going to give Klitschko problems. And there's a lot of people out there mm. that feel that Fury would always beat Vlad. I think you go back several years to when Emmanuel Stewart was in Klitschko's corner. If he had Manny Stewart in his corner against Tyson Fury and Tyson Fury was doing Vada testing, it was you know the clean guy that we just saw against Wilder, I would favor a prime Klitschko by decision. Now, my opinion might change if we see more of Tyson Fury and he – Let's say Fury beats Wilder the third time, and then he beats Joshua, and then he beats Usyk, and then he retires. That puts him in a special, special place, and then I'll think differently of him. But right now, I'd favor Vladimir Klitschko by very close, possibly you know, split decision or something like that over Fury, prime for prime. Oh, on that, I think Vlad was not used to fighting taller fighters. He wasn't used to fighting guys that move as well as Fury. I understand all those arguments. I do think he was a a different beast only three years beforehand. So, I don't know. You know how Emmanuel Stewart used to set fire under his ass? Vlad only started... If he... Tell him in this fight. Yeah, you broke up a little bit right there, but I think what you were talking about was how Manu Stewart would light a fire under Vladimir's ass. He did the same thing yeah, with yeah. Lennox Lewis. He did that. I remember he did it with Jermaine Taylor a couple times. He he'd do that with guys that he didn't feel were giving it a hundred percent and were taking it a little too easy. Guys like Vladimir, guys like Lennox were so much better than most of the guys that they fought that they could kind of get away with playing it safe. They didn't have to bite down mm-hmm. and fight. And when they were forced to bite down and fight, you saw what they really had inside them. I think you saw a little bit of that with Vladimir in his fight with Joshua. In the first fight with, uh, yeah. or the only fight with Fury, I just feel like he wasn't, um, he was in shape and everything, but I just, he wasn't able to make those adjustments. He didn't have uh, the best corner work in that fight. I really think that going into that rematch, he had 12 rounds of footage to sit down and look at one thing about Vladimir Klitschko and the crunk gym, they look at tape and Klitschko would sit down and just for hours with Manny Stewart and watch fights and break things down. And I just think possibly let's say Vlad and Tyson Fury fight three times. That's going to be a split uh, trilogy as well, where both guys are going to get W's in that. You know what I mean? 
But I got a few other calls, man, that I want to jump to. Good stuff, yeah, though. Sorry, man. there was two more. Oh, sorry, okay, let's say the real quick. Holyfield Lewis and Holyfield Tyson, and uh, I'll I'll leave you to wrap it up. Klitschko Lewis and Holyfield Tyson. Okay. Um. All right, bro. Uh, sorry, um, Holyfield Lewis, Holyfield Tyson. Holyfield Lewis, Holyfield Tyson. So Holyfield would always beat Tyson, always. Didn't matter so? how many times they That's fought or when they fought. Yeah, I just Holyfield has a mental edge and a toughness, and in the end, I feel better overall skill set than Tyson to go a hard 12 rounds. He just is a better built fighter at his best to do that. I think Holyfield, of course, Tyson could pull any of those fights out, of course, but I would have always favored Holyfield over Tyson. I would always favor Lewis over Holyfield. So those fights, timing didn't mean shit. All right. Is that all of them? Yeah, thanks, Mike. All right, Cheers. thanks a lot, bro. That's all. Nice one. See you. Bye. All right, let's jump to a couple, a couple other calls here, guys. We got a couple calls here late on the show. Uh, 619, you're on TNC. Go. 619, Montero. <laughs> What's up, Gail? Check it in. Hey. All right. I got your laugh, your ass off for the day. Right. I will be on TMZ Live tonight talking about Floyd Mayweather's misbehaving daughter. Holy shit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what channel is TMZ even on? Because I don't watch. Is that on Fox? Oh, who the hell? It depends on the market. You know, they oh, run okay. it all over the damn place. They they are all also on YouTube alongside Montero Unboxing, uh, various videos and so forth. Yeah, very random. They contacted me. If For those of you who watch that sort of gossip trash, which I admit, uh, <laughs> I do watch it. Uh, it's a train wreck. Don't we all love it, right? Um, they hit me up based on my Twitter traffic, and they have a peanut gallery of folks from around the country who weigh in on their various stories. And they chatted about Floyd's daughter, you know. Oh, that's the kind of stuff some, they love to talk about. Yeah. Some, Oh, well, hell yeah. Yeah, apparently she stabbed some guy, ex-boyfriend. Some YouTuber and... guy. Yeah, I'd never heard of him. I have no idea who it yeah, is. Me but... neither. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have time for that. But come on, honey. Ain't no man on the planet worth said it. <laughs> getting that upset about. <laughs> no one on the planet's worth mean, that seriously. getting upset about. Yeah. I. You well, know what? I got to stop. Come on. I was going to say, I, I got to stop bashing uh, TMZ on Twitter so much. I didn't realize they read uh, boxing writers' Twitter feeds. Huh. They are, re- they are reading it. Why the heck they plucked me out? Who the hell knows? And they, and they didn't really because you don't know what you're going to talk about until they tell you like 15 minutes before the show runs, you know, airs live. But, um, yeah, damn. Didn't that girl learn anything from her dad, you know? Like you, daughter, you don't fight like for father. anything but money. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently I mean, get on not. The money team. <laughs> I don't know. You know, yeah, look, so. Floyd has had a rough 2020. We all have had a rough 2020, but yeah. Floyd has had an especially yeah. rough 2020. And this yeah. one. Oh, yeah. I mean, with all, you know, with all seriousness, you know, plenty of people end up with misbehaving kids through no fault of their own. You mm-hmm. know, when you have multiple kids, and they all received the same upbringing, and only one acts up. It it wasn't you; it was them. That's a good point. So that's a good point. Yeah, you know, 
she's she's quite the piece of work. But uh, her, <laughs> is her name is her stuff. name really Yaya? Ayana. Oh, okay. So Yaya Ayana. is just a nickname. Okay, because I saw yeah. Yaya yeah. Mayweather, and I'm like, did he really name his kid? That tells you how much I know. I, no. I just I that's why TMZ is not going to call me. I have no idea who any of these people are. I just I don't pay attention. But hey, that's you know awesome. What, though, I'll look for all, you. All laughing aside, from my perspective, my perch as somebody who has taught journalism and is, was was at one time a legit journalist. You know, we can laugh at TMZ all we want, but a they do their homework. B you you know this. They sit down there on the courthouse in L.A. and other cities and they have people that watch for papers being filed. And that's how they catch, you know, people yeah. behaving badly. They break. They broke the news about Kovalev's DUIs yeah, that's and right. yeah, they did. being filed. You know, they did. when they break news, it you know, it's not the National Enquirer. It's always sourced and 99 times out of 100 they are right and they are accurate. And that's why they never get sued for this stuff either. That's a good point. They they dot their I's and cross their T's. Not like I'm advertising for all of you to go spend an hour of your day wasted watching TMZ. But when you see a news report sourced to TMZ, it's legit, folks. I've heard that from people who know what they're talking about. So, yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I don't necessarily follow what they report on, but the stuff that they report on, they are very well sourced. So, uh, look, I'll try to find T- – I'll ask Tiff if she knows when uh, TMZ airs. If not, I'll look for it on YouTube, and I'll, I'll, I'll tweet that I'll, out. I'll send you a link or something. Yeah, yeah, so, just DM me a link, and I'll check I, that out. I will brag. I did make Harvey laugh his ass off, so that, awesome. that's my accomplishment for the day. This is how we now measure our days, Michael, yeah. under quarantine. Did I make Harvey Levin laugh? Great. Job done for the day. Great job. As long as you don't make Harvey Weinstein <laughs> laugh, you're good. <laughs> you made the right oh, Harvey yeah. laugh. Oh, oh, so, oh, with that, zing. I'm dropping the mic. All right, yeah. All right, Gail. Thanks for calling. I got a couple more here I'm going to jump to. All right, guys. So Gail Falkenthal on TMZ. How cool is that? We'll have to check that out, man. Let's uh, jump to another call. 404, you're on TNC. Go. Hey, Mike, uh, I just wanted to um, kind of hear your observations on something I noticed. Uh, I was at the Gervonta Davis fight. You were there, and I heard you and Marty talking about bringing kind of mid-market fights to Atlanta, you know, not necessarily up-and-comers, but not super fights, just kind of having having established fighters have fights in Atlanta. And an observation I made was that, you know, the society people who were at that fight weren't boxing people like you see in L.A. and Las Vegas. It was like rappers and ballers and stuff. And do you think, uh, you know, having the culture crowd there, you know, rappers and NBA players, do you think that's better for bringing boxing to the Atlanta market or do you think we need to see more boxing folks at the live shows? That's a great question. Is this Peter? Yes, it is. Yeah. Peter was, I thought that was you, man. I just remember the voice. What's up, man guys. Uh, this is uh, another guy that's punched me in the head a few times talking on the phone <laughs> here. Uh, oh, good to hear from you, man. Um, yeah, look, I think, um, you know, in a market like Atlanta, what's going to come first is the society people, as you say. 
those people mm-hmm. are the what do they call them influencers and they're going to talk about the fight they're going to hashtag shit and post their selfies on instagram and their little videos from ringside and stuff that's going to get people talking that's going to generate interest that's going to get kids interested and maybe build boxing people create boxing people the thing is if you have one event like that you know once a year once every two three years that's not enough you need those people to be out attending those sorts of events regularly that's how you build a community so just having a one-off you know that's just not going to get it done man you know you mentioned Mm -hmm. going to fights in new york uh la even somewhere like chicago you know uh philly some of those older towns where there's an established boxing history, you're going to find boxing people at those events. There's not many boxing people in Atlanta. And, you know, the, most of them are transplants like you and I, you know, you're from mm-hmm. up north and you move down here, right? So mm-hmm. you got to have those influencers and those, I hate using that damn word, but it's true. You got to have those people attending the events, but you got to have more events, consistent events. And that's how you build a boxing community. For sure. For sure. Yeah, man. So when are you going to get back in there and get back to training? You got any plans to get back once, in? There? Once we're allowed back in. <laughs> Hell yeah, bro. All right. Well, I'll probably see you there this summer because it was my plan awesome. to get it in there. Good talking to you. All right. Cool, man. All right. Well, dude, call in any time, bro. All right. All right, guys, uh, that was Peter, another guy who's punched me in the head. We're going to get one more call here real quick. Uh, 773, you're on TNC. Go. How y'all doing? Doing good. How you doing? Pretty good. You know what? I was looking at an uh, Instagram post today of Vladimir Klitschko. Did you see that latest one he posted? No, actually, I haven't been on Instagram at all today yet. So It's pretty interesting. It's a, um, it's a magazine cover of a title saying him down and it says broken man um they're pretty much writing him off saying after his loss or something one of his losses he's done he's a broken man this and that and what he do he went on to break the record or hold the record for most title defenses i don't know what it is um but he just never got his due every time you talk about him oh he's boring and oh he was in a easy generation blah 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 he just never got the credit he deserves, in my opinion. I felt like uh, I consider him the best heavyweight of all time. And people would say, oh, that's Muhammad Ali, this and that. It's kind of crazy. Um, but I think that's just an Eastern European thing. I don't think they get the credit they deserve. They kind of fight for everything they have. That's why I think someone like Aegis Kleiman, um, that Please. manager, yeah, man, he's just been uh, so many opportunities. Um, to see us high-level boxing, the best boxing in the world. It's guys like Momachenko, Kovalev, um, Basputin, a whole gang of fighters that he signs and brings us over here to the States for me to get a chance to see. Normally, you wouldn't have the opportunity to see him because no other promoters give them, gives them uh, the opportunity, gives them the chance. They don't take a shot at him. They don't take a shot at him to give, bring them over here, put them in the bright lights, and otherwise they just, they're over there overseas fighting no fighting people, not getting their recognition they deserve. So I kind of see, what's your thoughts on that? 
um, Klitschko's and the rest of these Eastern Europeans coming over, finally getting some credit, but it feels like they should be getting more. They should, um, I feel like there's more to give. They have more to offer over there in that side of the world. What's your thoughts? I'll hang it up, take it OT at that. Okay. Thanks for calling in, man. Good question. Uh, this is something I've talked about uh, at length on my show. Ah, sorry about that, guys. Another ding, another text. Um, it's something I've talked about several times over the years. And, and look, the way it happens throughout boxing history is every immigrant group here in the United States, every it could be immigrant group slash ethnic group, goes through kind of a growing pains period where you don't really have the political power yet and you're the new kid on the block trying to prove yourself and you don't have that acceptance. And then you could get to a point where if they, they keep pushing through, they become the dominant force in boxing and they, they have the power structure in boxing. And so let, let's back up a little bit. Let's look at Mexican fighters and Mexican-American fighters, right? Mexican fighters right now, are the, you could, I don't think there really is any argument anymore, but let's just say Mexican-American fans are the largest fan base that spends the most money consistently. And I don't mean that, I have to preface because it's 2020. I don't mean that to put down any other groups of fans, any other ethnic groups of fans, any other demographics. But the bottom line is here in the United States, and I've seen the data and I've been at the fights, guys. I know what I'm talking about. Mexican-American fans are the power structure here in the United States. Why the fuck did Floyd Mayweather fight every year around Cinco de Mayo and Mexican Independence Day? Because he's Mexican? No, because he knew what the hell he was doing. And he agrees with what I just said. Amazingly, I tweeted that a month or so ago and I got harassed for it. But anyway, I, I digress. There was a time where Mexicans... Mexican fighters were the new kids on the block and they were getting ripped off in decisions. They were fighting African-American fighters and coming up short on the scorecards in Las Vegas. They were getting dicked over by the sport. They kept pushing through. They kept pushing through and they became now the power structure in the sport to where Canelo Alvarez, a Mexican guy, he's getting the benefit of the doubt in close decisions against fighters from other parts of the world. Oscar De La Hoya, <clears throat> he got the benefit of the doubt in several decisions that went his way that people didn't feel he won. Uh, he lost a couple close ones too, but there's plenty of examples I could give, okay? Before that, how long did African-American fighters, black fighters here, have to fight and struggle just to get equal treatment in the sport? It took them eons, right? There was a color line for decades in the sport where there were champions non-black champions who refused to fight black fighters there were even black champions that didn't want to fight black fighters jack johnson look i understand a lot of hipsters love jack johnson and he's the guy when that dude became heavyweight champion he stopped fighting black dudes he drew the color line as a black guy okay so african-american fighters struggled for decades to get fair treatment in the sport Italian-American fighters. Yes, I'll personalize it. There's a great book by Rolando Vitale that I would recommend called The Real Rockies. Highly recommend that book. It's awesome. I've read it, and it talks about this. Italian-Americans at that time in America were seen as this not-quite-white mongrel race that quite didn't fit in, and they couldn't really draw a color line. They had to fight everybody, but they were like kind of the Mexican fighters before the Mexican fighters. Think of them that way. 
Jewish fighters. There's plenty of groups, right? So why do I say all this? Because now in the sport, <clears throat> Eastern European fighters are going through that process. If you go back to the Klitschko's, their era, Vlad fought just a few years ago, but his, his era was, I mean, they went pro in the late 90s, okay? Vlad fought for basically 20 years as a pro, guys. So for the 2000s, he was, him and his brother were pushing through, really, really pushing through and fighting to get that equal treatment, that equal respect. I don't think they ever quite got it. Now, some people feel that they do, but for whatever reason, Vladimir Klitschko specifically is just never going to get the mainstream respect, but he pushed through. And I think 50 years from now, he'll be seen in a much better light than the way he's seen now. But you ha- he had to go through that process so that you could have the Lomachenkos, the Golovkins, the Kovalevs, those guys, the Usyks. And I say that those guys are getting more respect, more mainstream recognition now than the Klitschko's got. The Klitschko's hat were those first kind of groundbreaking fighters that pushed through, right? But these guys now are getting a little bit more respect. But we've seen Kovalev come up short against Andre Ward in Las Vegas in a fight that many feel he won. We saw Golovkin come up short against Canelo Alvarez in Las Vegas in a fight that many feel he won, right? We saw uh, Vasily Lomachenko fighting against Orlando Salido in a very, um, I don't want to say unethical situation, but rest assured, if uh, Shakur Stevenson or let's take uh, Javante Davis, if they were in a similar situation like that, I think... Orlando Salido probably would have been penalized for going low dozens of times in that fight. Um, So we've seen they're still not there. The Eastern European fighters are starting to get the respect. And guys like the Klitschko's 20 years ago started breaking down the walls. These guys are getting respect, but they're still not quite there. However, 20 years from now, it's very likely, if you just look at the way these things are going, that... The power structure of this sport might be the Eastern Europeans. The Eastern Europe, because if you look at the amateur system right now, it's not just the Ukrainians, guys. It's not just the Russians. It's the Uzbeks. It's the Kazakhs. It's Eastern Europe slash Central Asia, Russian-speaking former Soviet Union bloc countries that are producing the top amateurs. And those guys are coming over here now. They're, They're wising up. They're not going to Germany to do a career there. They're coming here to the States. They're moving here. The caller, I'm sorry, I didn't get your name, but you mentioned Igis Klimas. What he has done is he's brought a bunch of those guys over here and kind of created an Eastern European farm system, to use a baseball reference, in Southern California, in the greater Los Angeles area, where a lot of these dudes are training and living. So you're going to see more guys like Dimitri Bivol. You're going to see uh, Beck the Bullies coming up right now. Uh, who are some of these other guys? Uh, Israel Madromov. You're going to see more and more of these guys. That next generation, over the next 10 to 20 years, those guys I think are fully going to break through. What remains to be seen is can they appeal to the mainstream fan base here in the United States? Because there just are not as many Eastern European people here in this country as there are Mexicans, right? Mexican Americans. So a Mexican fighter has 
the Mexican-American fan base to market to and the greater Hispanic fan base, regardless of race or nationality, just that the whole Hispanic culture, the whole Hispanic heritage, Mexican fighters could market to that. With Eastern European fighters, the Eastern European community just isn't that big. Can Eastern European fighters break through to the mainstream American population? If they can, they will ultimately become the power structure in this sport. And I'm telling you right now, that makes certain people really, really uncomfortable. All right, guys, we are going to uh, end it here. Great show today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Sorry we started late, but, you know, technology, it is what it is, man. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it it was good to go once we got going. I know my uh, audio levels were way off, so I apologize for that. We'll get all that worked out, and uh, we'll be better and back next Monday. In the meantime, remember, Mark from Unrivaled Boxing is going to be on here Monday. If you guys have any questions for him or any specific topics that you want us to discuss, let me know, all right? Leave a comment here. uh, Tweet me something, whatever it is, all right? Take care, guys, and stay safe. We're going to get through this shit, all right?